Hey everybody, this is Michael Stiles. Welcome to another episode of The Good Brew Podcast. On today's episode, we will be talking about another hot topic. If you guys were with us in our third episode at the very beginning, we talked about did God create the world in seven days? And so this, we're still going to be in the first couple chapters of Genesis here because there's a lot of hot topics in the first couple chapters in Genesis. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the flood. And we're going to be looking at the question of, a classic question, was the flood global? Was it worldwide? Was there an actual worldwide flood that God used to destroy everything and reset? We're going to be talking about that question today. But before we get into that, I want to go ahead and introduce to you guys the usual suspects sitting around the table. Across from me, we have Jordan White. Hey. To my right, Philip Burns. Hey, hey, howdy, hey, hey. And to my left, Justin Harris. Uh, hey, guys. Hey, Justin. Hey. <laughs> I like to imagine that there's a collo- there's just a collective hey in response from our <laughs> listeners to everybody. We are drinking today from... Actually, we're taking a little bit different route on this episode. We are drinking from Dunkin' Donuts. And today's coffee was made out of a Ninja Brewer. So rather than... If you guys have been with us, you know, we like to take our time making coffee. Today, take some Dunkin' Donuts beans, throw it in the Ninja, make it, drink it. And guess what? It's still good coffee. We, we don't want to devalue anybody's coffee making and experience. And Dun- there's a reason Dunkin' is America's favorite coffee. There is a reason because I mean, it's it good is- coffee. There are more Dunkin' Donuts than there are. I, I think they're neck and Starbucks and Dunkin' are probably neck and neck now as far as locations go. But really? Apparently in the north, Dunkin' is way more prevalent than Starbucks. Probably not in the northwest. No, no. Nor- sorry, northeast. I should yeah, qualify. The north, north. Yeah. <laughs> Northeast, like New York, like New okay. England, Dunkin' Donuts is like preferred than Starbucks. Hey, so to all our listeners up in New England, if you could just uh, confirm that for yes. us, if you send us a, you know, um, email or Anecdotal, of course. I mean, I'm all going based off of hearsay, so. So we, we've obviously been hi- highlighting counterculture coffee since we started this podcast, but we also want to take a moment, like, to say Dunkin' Donuts is okay. Highlight them. We're highlighting you can America. Actually, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts is more than just okay. Dude, it'll Donuts get the job done. Good. Dunkin' Dunks on the breakfast game. Dunkin' In comparison Dunks? to what? Dude, they just slam dunk. Oh, uh, Dunkin' Dunks? <laughs> okay. I will say, but from here on out from the podcast, we will be calling it by uh, the short term that we call it, Dunk Dones. Dunk Dones. I'm going to go I'm gonna go to Dunk Dones. So again, guys, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the flood, and we are going to seek to give some clarity to whether or not this was a worldwide flood, a local flood, a flood of the then-known world, maybe a little bit bigger than local, maybe perhaps regional, but not necessarily worldwide. So I think, guys, what's going to be best to do as we have our Bibles open here is to understand a couple things. We've got to understand how the Bible uses rhetoric. We've got to understand how uh, the Bible uses figurative language in Scripture, non-figurative language, any of that. We also need to understand that the Bible, as we always say nearly every episode, it's an old, ancient document, right? This was written in a culture that's completely separated from our own, that swam in a different cultural river. We talked about that on one of the early episodes, if you want to go back and listen to it. Uh, Justin, give us a quick overview of cultural river, just real quick. What does it mean to swim in a cultural river? 
Well, we're all doing it, whether or not we realize it or not. So what do we swim in? Postmoderns. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of different democracy. You yeah. individual like that's in the West. Individual yeah. identity. Yeah, Western Western democracy, postmodern, specifically our brand of it, which is American, which would be then our sp- more specific brand. We're all of us come from similar backgrounds. Um, what about the ancient Near East when the Bible was written? What's some cultural river? What did they swim in? Oh man, uh, so. Not postmodern. No, Prime, no. What would you Tri- call that? Tribal. Community identity. Yeah, a lot more community identity for sure. I would say the idea of I mean, the obviously ice. the way they, yeah, their ordering of the cosmos is entirely different than ours. Their understanding of deity. I mean, I'm, yeah. ju- I'm not talking just about ancient Israel here. I'm right. talking about how, well, yeah. well, it's interesting because in our, like going back to the Protestant thing and in our cultural river, like not everybody's going to believe in deity and theirs. It was assumed. Most people, oh, yeah. yeah. Their worldview was shaped by what the gods were doing. Everybody believed in it. Right. Not not necessarily there was one that, that Yahweh no. was the only God. No, no that was the that was swimming upstream. Yes, that, yeah, that exactly. was swimming upstream. But they all believed that God was doing that gods right. were doing something in the world. Right. Right. So a very patriarchal system. I yes. mean it was very yeah. just different a different world. So they are in a very, very different world. Absolutely. So understanding that is also going to help shape how we see the flood. Oh, can we one thing very important. Yes. Obviously we live post enlightenment, post scientific revolution kind of idea. They did not live in that day. Yeah. So that's their emphasis be... on reason. They, it's not that they didn't use reason in their day to day life, but right. how right. they constructed their world, how they understood those their questions. World. The different questions they were asking, yeah. and they wouldn't say that this. They didn't see that the supernatural was separate from natural. No, well, no, yeah, yeah, not not in the it's more of a continuum. Right, yeah, yeah. Like there wasn't a there wasn't as a, a sharper divide as it's we not black have. or white. This is this is natural. This is supernatural. Right. Enlightenment kicked God upstairs, so to speak, mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good call. So, so we need to keep that in mind as we read this narrative and as we look in it. So. If you guys want to know more of the context that this story takes place in, go back and listen to our episode seven, which is Act Two, talks about the fall. The flood takes place in that that time frame. It's about uh, sin and evil and violence and destruction, as we'll see. It's just getting out of control, and so God, in this moment, is going to take a he's going to take an inventory and he's going to take a little reset. So, would you say that there is? hyperbole in the Bible. Exaggerated language. Yes, exaggerated language. Yeah, I think so. Does that negate the truthfulness of Scripture? No. Why? I would think that it helps to bring across whatever point the author is trying to get across. And it helps, like, drive it home. What's an example? So to to speak. Uh, In Scriptures, look at Joshua, where Joshua 12, it says, all the nations were completely wiped out right. and everybody in those yeah. nations was killed. What so is if Joshua? You take that literally, you'd be like, there are no more nations. There's no more nations, no more people in those nations left. Turn the page, Joshua 13. Now, not every nation was wiped out and not everybody <laughs> was killed. So did the Bible yeah, yeah, contradict yeah. itself? Yeah. What about right. like, probably not, Goliath's height, potentially. Yeah, potentially Goliath's height. Yeah. I mean, was he really nine and three quarter foot As tall. the Bible actually sets out the metrics of like... Yeah, almost 10 feet tall. Or look at like drawings from... I mean, I wouldn't have a problem believing that. Based off of... How tall is the tallest dude in the world? Oh yeah, people can, people have gotten that tall. Yeah, but it, but remember with characters, when the Bible calls out something about a character, dial in on that. Like the Bible is not just saying Goliath's tall just to say it, right? Like 
There's a reason why it's calling it out. And in fact, as we'll see, the Bible actually treats events the same way that the Bible treats characters. So what does is, what is the Bible do with characters? It's not just to tell you about the character, but what is God doing through that character? And what is the, how is the narrator using the character? So with events like the flood, it's not necessarily just saying, hey, there's a flood, but what is God doing through the flood? How is the narrator using the flood to craft his story that so, he's telling? So is it safe to say that to use hyperbole is to place a special emphasis on what you're trying to be. Yeah. And look at like, if you look at like drawings from ancient Egypt, especially with Pharaoh, like Pharaohs were drawn a lot of times, like 30, 40, 50 feet high. They're not 30, 40, 50 feet high, but what is the significance of doing What are they that? trying to say by describing them in this way? What you would say is that they're, when they want to be seen as powerful. They want to be seen yeah. God, as God divine, larger life, than life, larger than life. So, so when we're talking about the flood, we're going to encounter language in this account that might be hyperbolic. It's trying to make a point, right? Yeah. And I want to read this. This is from the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, and it's from 1978. It's drawn up by leading evangelical theologians and biblical scholars. Article 13 of that document says, We affirm the propriety of using inerrancy as a theological term with reference to the complete truthfulness of Scripture. Inerrancy meaning the Bible is... Without error. Uh, Without error. No error. No error. Inerrancy means the Bible is without error. We deny that it is proper to evaluate Scripture according to standards of truth and error that are alien to its usage or purpose. We further deny that inerrancy is negated by biblical phenomena such as a lack of modern technical precision, irregularities of grammar or spelling, observational nature, the reporting of falsehoods, the use of hyperbole and round numbers, the topical arrangements and material, or the use of free citations. So essentially they say... Just because the Bible uses hyperbole does not mean that you're denying an okay, so inerrancy. To kind of frame this up a little bit, so it seems like we're talking about the flood, right? And in the past, at least in my experience, you can almost use the flood kind of like we used boundary the, marker. Yeah, as a, as a litmus Pe- test. Of people who take the Bible seriously or don't. Right. If you right. deny that it's worldwide, and this is what I mean, this is what groups like Answers in Genesis or and others would Can't would have. say. Yeah. yeah, they would say if you deny the global uh, scope of the the flood that you are somehow you are either on a slippery slope towards secular liberalism mm-hmm. or something right. like that but what at least the Chicago statement on inerrancy is saying if the text is intending to use hyperbole right. that doesn't in any way undermine say that, the truthfulness and of it does yeah if you right. are, it's a inerrant yeah, if it's using hyperbole yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, so so we're talking about the flood. So for those for the person out there that's listening, you may be thinking, okay, I don't know. I'm not sure. The flood, what does the text say? You know, okay, so yeah. let's look at what does the text say, Michael? That the context about? of the flood, okay, why why is the flood coming about? The Lord saw, this is 6-5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. Okay, so that means... Our culture review is a literal reading of that text. I mean, every single person on earth. Every moment of their life. Every moment of their life, only evil all the time. That means no good. Not even like... And yeah. I, th- I don't think anybody would uh, would say that the Bible m- means like every single person at every single moment. Well, it clearly doesn't because they, no, it's not. Yeah, because look what happens. But... There's somebody who's not. But, yeah, there is one person in that man. And his family. So they're... Well, the Bible doesn't say his family. Well, either way. But, we, but they're we included know, with it. Right, that they're at least spared because of him. So if Noah is righteous, that by definition, that means that you not can't take everybody. Out of face yeah. yeah, there's at least one. The language there is 
It's or, uh, it's it's using yeah hyper so, hyperbolic language. So when the Bible now, I don't think it means that the generalization. Bible, general yeah, the Bible can use hyperbole when it says all. Now I don't think though that means every time the Bible says all, it's using hyperbole. Like I think when Paul says all fall short of the glory of God. And all have sinned. So it's not saying that every time the Bible says all, look out for hyperbole, but look yeah. at look at contextual clues. Yeah. Right? So Noah, what are some of the clues here? So like when we're when we're reading through the text. So in the story of the flood, just yeah. So basically where it says all where it's a, where all the earth was flooded. Right. So just a two second sum, summation. So God sees the wickedness of humanity as we just the pervasiveness of it. Right. Over the and he decides to send floodwaters. Through the anywhere we're told that the deep burst forth and right and the sky ran right. down and the, to judge right. the wicked to basically wipe out humanity right. with the exception of one man and his family. That's right. the gist of the story. Yes. So the question again is the scope of this flood. Now, well, what a, does the text say? On a textual reading of that, yeah, you would say it was worldwide. It infer, you infer it's worldwide infer, because the. The evil, the wickedness of humanity was world was right. universal. Now let's talk about this though. Science, science, science is nice. Like we said in episode three, science nowhere affirms a global flood, and the people, the scientists that do, like I respect how hard that they are working to try and reconcile the text with science. And but if you have to work that hard to make something make sense, then you might need to that's reevaluate not, how you're approaching the text. Yeah, that's not real science, anyways. Okay, so because just you're trying to go for an already established. Outcome. If you're trying, and we're not scientists, if you're trying to prove something before you start out, is that what you're saying? I think I'm science. saying yeah. this old. So when we talked about did God create the world in seven days, we had a conversation about like there are different approaches to how people try to reconcile what we discover through the scientific method about our world and what the Bible says. Right. So there's there's a way to say that essentially the Bible is over science, and that if there are any contradictions, the Bible wins. There's also a way to synthesize science in the Bible. Then there are two other ways that essentially say the Bible is not trying to answer scientific questions at all, so don't even try to do it. Right. Um, and so let science be authoritative where it's authoritative and let the Bible be authoritative. They're just trying to answer different questions. So that informs how we're reading the flood narrative in the sense that if there are scientists that are trying to find a scientific explanation for a worldwide flood— because the Bible seems to indicate there was a worldwide flood, that may be bad science because you're not letting science right. lead out. And it seems like just from the from my understanding, granted, I'm not a scientist or anything like that, and I don't follow the creation scientist journals and things like that. But it seems like in in their discipline, so to speak, that they have they use the flood. They assume a global flood. As they go to the science, so for yes. example, any yeah, type right. of sediment, yeah. like they look at the sediment that's laid down in the different layers, and the flood is then the explanation of for why, certain anomalies in what they're observing. Right. It's like why? Okay, the flood laid down this much sediment in, in like, a really short amount of time. Right. Yeah. Right. This well, is if a, you go into it like assuming something, you just kind of like what we were talking about with lenses. You're already putting a lens over your interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. But but what we're saying, if this hyperbolic language is something that is used and does not undermine inerrancy, there's not a need. Like you can still, yeah, yeah, yeah. you you don't have to, you can still fully believe scripture and you don't have to defend a worldwide flood. Yeah. 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 That's what I was just saying. That's why the, right. No, that's why it's bad. Here's a quote from uh, John Paul II. I love this quote. 
Science can purify religion from error and superstition. Religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. You could be a scientist, never read the Bible in your life, find evidence that like, man, it appears that in this layer of sediment, it seems like this was this was quickened. Like yeah, sure. beyond what would normally happen, what are your realm of possibilities? Right. Oh, a world, a flood, or some sort of okay. Well, okay, awesome. And and that, but that in and of itself doesn't mean there's alignment between what happened if, in the Bible and that. If you look at what you're the looking at, but the ark itself, um, it's beautiful. If you want to see a life size version, you can go up to Kentucky right now. But here's, the, I want to talk about that. Though. I want to go. I want to. I want to too. But I want to talk about that. It. So. First of all, remember when we talked about other cultures, and we talked about this even with creation, that other cultures that weren't that weren't Israel had their own creative narratives that follow along the same narrative of there the creation other, narrative. Yeah, and there so are the, other cultures who have origin stories that include a flood. A flood, oh, and not only do they include a flood, but they include a man being a man and his family being put on a boat. The the thing that's interesting to me is it's not just isolated in the ancient Near East. This is where I start to wonder because you have flood stories from. India that go way back. So like there's right. this but there's no flood stories from Africa which is interesting. Right. So yeah, that is interesting. There's human like human in the deep recess of like the human conscious. There is a flood there was story. a traumatic event. Yes. Way 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 back. Now, the the thing that's hard to decipher is how much of it's borrowed from others and how much of it's independent. That's where it becomes well, here's, challenging. Well, and this is where where the flood sticks out though in scripture is in light of all these other flood stories, there are similarities but there's Differences and the differences are where we're going to see yeah so the that, theological message emerging out mm-hmm. of but the the biblical flood but story. that's not going to necessarily answer our question no it's not it's not but I want to look uh, I want to spend one more moment on the science behind the boat so in all these episodes all these accounts the boat and I didn't know this until theologians and scholars have pointed this out in every ancient Near Eastern story including the Bible the ark is bigger than any boat ever made bigger than the titanic bigger than cruise ships we fly on or we we go on now we don't fly on cruise ships so already <laughs> you're so we're already saying the bible is claiming that the ark was bigger than any boat ever made so up a, to up to that time and ever since so it was a big dang boat and here's the thing this is interesting <laughs> and not so animals, the problem what's the probability that the boat actually was bigger than any boat we can make now today? and here's the thing but i mean you got to put the animals on it man yeah th- that's why it's got to be so big right Right, it's got to be big. Now, here's the thing, though. Okay, so take take the Ark in Kentucky, okay? And we're not Which hating apparently that. was you. they used the metrics. Oh, they tried to do it as no, close. No, but they built it bigger. And I'm not hating on it, but it's like they claim that you could put the boat in water. Well, first of all, and it would float. Well, like, I would, they should do it. Like, take the boat out of middle of the land in Kentucky. You can't get it there, first of all. Well, first of all, it probably would float because wood float. How is that arc made, right? If you go on YouTube, you'll see they use scaffolding. They use concrete. They yeah. use power yeah. tools. They use forklifts. Yeah. They use... And you're going to tell me, Noah... It took him years, dude. <laughs> and his whole family worked on it, too. The improbability of the boat rising that fast and staying afloat. So you're saying... Water's rising that fast... And that high is scientifically improbable. But we, I would want, I mean, I, I would be in the It camp. rained 40 days and 40 nights before the earth was completely flooded, though. That's, yeah, that's, that's fast. And you, can you, you cannot survive on a boat. If it's raining, if the earth fills in 40 days, think how... Again, but we haven't, we haven't answered the question of whether yeah. it's local or global. And right. I want to I say that it was, that something happened. Like, I want to we be... Want to affirm, something did happen. Something happened. Th- because, simply because of the 
pervasiveness of, of an the, account of like a this flood, flood myths, different right, right that are that are cultures. out there. Now, granted, Something there happened. are there are I, I do want it. There are very stark differences, but also some very interesting similarities too. You know, right. even to the point of like the releasing of the birds and things like that, right. and even. Well, it, it it comes it becomes tough because it's not as easy as we think because of words like all. On one hand, it could mean all the earth was flooded, but on the other hand, as we've seen, it doesn't have to mean that. Based it could on, mean all of the known earth is well, flooded. Well, see, this is it something could, interesting. You know. Hugh Ross, uh, which is he's an old earth guy, he argues that the that it was not a global flood, but it was global in the sense of humanity had not spread beyond yeah. the yeah. the re, it for all humanity it was global. Because the point wasn't it was to it was to basically wipe out humanity. But the text clearly portrays a worldwide flood. Yes. So So by what do they mean by worldwide? That entire globe. The entire earth. But they they wouldn't have seen this. They wouldn't have had it. The entire earth was flooded. But it's flat in their minds. Keep in mind it's flat. And the point again with the flood, it's to wipe out humanity. Right. That's the point. So if I mean I'm not saying Ross is right. I think Ross is also reading into it from the sense of trying to Make sense of the text, right. it, sure. And you, ha- I think it's important to say, just because you have a question about what's happening, it t- doesn't mean that's the question that needs an answer. Right. Yeah. Right. So, looking at the flood story, is that it was a local cataclysmic event that is described intentionally by the Bible as a worldwide flood for theological reasons. You, why can't we just say? Why couldn't we say if they were to draw a map of what they knew of the whole world? That map would look totally different from the map we would draw of the whole world. Oh sure. yeah, so like, we could say whatever that map, the scope of that map, we could say a flood happened. And right, and map. theologically, there would be no reason to flood Antarctica. Right, they didn't because know there's it, no Antarctica there, existed. There's no yeah. human. There's no hum- humanities. Not right, there. right. Why describe it as a worldwide flood? What is the theological reason for describing God it wanting to well reset, yeah. so to speak, the stage with the exception of one family to carry his project right. forward to and go to the differences again. I think yeah. if you look at the differences in the flood accounts, like, so Michael mentioned this earlier, but just really quick. So in the other flood accounts, like typically God's angry because humans are noisy or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Yeah. So like he's, that's why the flood comes. I mean, no joke. This for, is for their, them down the in, toilet in there. <laughs> yeah. Like they're noisy. So God's going to, oh, and that's stop just clanging yourself. But what's what? Well, yeah. It's, kind of funny well, you're making too much racket down there we're gonna flood yeah but look but if you look at y'all playing too hard <laughs> but look at what the bible's the theological point the bible's making is is totally different like we've already read the wickedness of humanity all their god's good world is no longer and good, and it's pervasive good. right it it has reached a worldwide level end to end top to bottom yeah yeah so if and, wickedness has spread to a worldwide level there has to be a worldwide event that's going right. to Right, and just I mean, just the logic of the of the yes, yeah. and to think about it in their minds too. I, I want to go back to this point because they did not see the world as round; they, it was a flat Earth, and that does not mean they were idiots. They that, didn't discover it yet, right? That was the way their understanding yeah. of the structure of the of the world. And and for us, we look at that oh backwards. No, no, no. You can't look at it that way. Like we didn't have pictures of the Earth as a globe until like the fifties when mm-hmm. satellites and stuff went mm-hmm. up there or something like that. So we knew it was round before then. But my point is right. Their conception. So when you say worldwide, to them, I don't think they're even... Okay, this is where... Are they intentionally trying to mislead? No, not at all. I don't think that's what's going on. But I think that they know 
this wasn't a worldwide flood, but they are describing it as if it was to make a point that this has implications for the world. I might even say, say they might have actually thought it was a worldwide they may, flood. They may have thought it was. So like if you were to uh, uh, pluck someone out of yeah. uh, Noah's descendants, direct descendants, yeah. and you're like, hey, that flood story, was it? did it cover the whole earth? They would probably say, yes, it did. Yeah. And, but again, it's... But it, the flood takes place in the context of a story. Right. Right? So the the Bible is not just telling us... Their self, it's Israel's self-identity. Yeah. The flood story And what is the flood story? It's a recreation, of, right? Yeah. Because yeah, the waters, it, fl- the chaos waters come back, right? They mm-hmm. flood the earth, just like we saw in Genesis 1, that there is mm-hmm. chaotic water. So God... And that, that's not evil. It's just non... It hasn't been ordered. It's non-ordered. So... What happens? You have the waters come back, right? And then at the end of it, what happens? Land is brought out. Humans and animals. It literally says the humans and animals were brought out from the ark. So you it's have like a recreation story. And then, and then the blessing is yeah. given again. Yep. The blessing is given. He tells yep. Noah, be fruitful, mm-hmm. multiply, mm-hmm. fill the earth. Mm-hmm. And then Noah builds a garden. vineyard, builds a garden. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Ham. <laughs> but what happens? Noah's is, is not actually the parallel. It's Ham. Sees the sees because Ham net. sees Ham something. Ham is Eve. Ham is yeah, Eve. He sees and says that is good, and he ta- and he tries to take. Well, we we infer that, and then right. the nakedness and the shame. Yeah, naked, and then they're naked and shamed. Yeah. So again, what we see happening in the flood narrative is is again God's commitment. He's like he's rebooting the picture. He's using a lot of the same categories that he established in Genesis one and two and three. Again, yeah. showing that, yeah. So kind of back to the worldwide thing, this is not a litmus test for like, I believe the Bible or I don't. Right. right. So the, the question of, again, I think, I think I, I wrote down here, is local or global flood the point of the story? Like trying to figure that out, the point, and then does every scene or event in the, in the biblical story need a historical referent to be true? That's... I mean, I definitely think there's a historical reference here. Right. Yes. I would have to go that Something way. happened. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have other right. evidence outside sure. of Scripture to say there was a B.A. flood. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. A yeah. flood yeah. happened. What we're illuminating and talking about the flood is a larger issue, question you have to ask when you're reading the Bible, uh, is does everything that you're reading have to have a historical right. reference for it to bear witness to something that's true right. about reality? Right. And I would say no, but this one does have a This one reference. does, because yes. there are other cultures that have well, you, similar accounts. Well, look at Genesis 1 through 11. Story. We would argue that creation happened. We would argue that Adam and Eve were in the garden. We would argue that Cain, and Abe, Cain killed his brother, mm-hmm. and we would argue that the tower was built. We would argue that the table of nations was a thing. So why would we say that, but, but there wasn't a flood? Like, that right. doesn't make sense. Yeah, and especially like when there's yeah. more evidence for the flood than probably any of those other things we just said. Yes. Other than the fact that, that we, was, creation was it worldwide. Right. right. I, I really think you have to go back, what did worldwide mean to them? Right. And it, I'm not thinking, I mean, my, my I would land, we may disagree on this, and that's okay, but I would land with, to them, I think in their minds it was worldwide. This is a worldwide problem. God's worldwide problem, universal it. problem, right. Yeah. And this is, this is God's way of engaging the pervasiveness, the worldwide right. pervasiveness of human sin. And sure. I mean, if you go back to this idea that, you know, human vocation now, like, hey, this has affected everything. So Oh yeah, yeah, it's a good point to make that that 
the ramifications for the for the human fall mm-hmm. went to the core of yeah. the created universe, physical universe, and even how in, things functioned. Yeah, and the and the the idea that you know this isn't just localized to one people group. This is everywhere. Mm-hmm. So now, granted, we're before in in the story before Genesis eleven, but still, you have in in their minds humanity as a whole is being judged mm-hmm. and dealt with in the flood. Mm-hmm. So it's but a, that God would preserve Noah as a as a Noah is part of Israel's lineage. It's like lineage how their self-understanding. Yeah, even though Israel's not a thing yet. Right, but in, in but we the text we have was they didn't have they weren't writing us down all the way back. Sure. So like it's oral part of their oral history, mm-hmm. like how they understood themselves. Yeah. Know? I mean, I think liter- I, literary, literarily, is that the word? In yeah, a, as a literary device, it is a worldwide flood. Scientifically, no. Right. Probably but, wasn't. No, but it didn't. But I think the point is not necessarily the judgment, again, in the text is not on the creation. Right. Yeah, right. Well, it's granted, the humanity. animals do, the animals are, but it's on humanity. The point right. is, humanity has is wicked. Mm-hmm. So that's where. And that's just what like Hugh Ross and them would say. It's like, okay, I think they're still trying to make the science fit, so to speak. But they're looking at it say humanity was regionalized. They weren't worldwide. So you could say that it's it was both local and worldwide. Worldwide from how they understood worldwide. Yeah. Local from how we understand worldwide. This is by William Ryan and Walter Pittman. They are scientists at the Lamont Daugherty Earth Observatory at Columbia University. Okay, so they're Ivy Leaguers. So we can trust them. Their conclusion is that a flood burst through Bosporus in 5600 BC so violently that it cleaved Europe from Anatolia. The flood was so overpowering that it turned a freshwater lake into what is now the Black Sea. Many who lived on the shores of that no longer existent freshwater lake and in the general vicinity either were killed or displaced from their homes. They suggest that those who survived this flood remembered it as they immigrated to new locations, thus inspiring flood stories that we are aware of among later cultures, including the Babylonian and biblical accounts. So these guys believe that it was pure myth, that it w- there was no event that stood behind the flood story. After researching it, they've come to that conclusion. Interesting. Anatolia is Asia Minor, so Turkey. Now, in this book, Lost World of the Flood, they don't think that that's necessarily what it was. They conclude that the Black Sea Flood is the type of devastating flood that could have ultimately inspired the biblical event. So these two guys were skeptics at first. They said there wasn't this a flood. A, this is a mythical story. There was nothing behind it. And then they right. did this research, and then they said, okay, something did actually happen, 5600 BC. But it was local. And it basically the Black Sea went Ken Ham and... <laughs> That's going to be a thing now. <laughs> no, the Black Sea, no, no. The Black Sea was created. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Because of the flood. Because this yeah, and the Black Sea's huge, right? Is, so this is, is a big. huge event would have wiped out a big old region and but in remember ancient cultural river, they see this as 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 judgment, right? So right. then all these people migrated and went all these places and then that's where these right. stories started popping up. Right. And so and and something that we're not going to have a lot of time to talk about, but if you look at the word grieved in chapter six, where it says God was grieved that he made humanity, in comparisons to that word used in other ancient Near Eastern texts and in the rest of the Bible, that word is used in context of 
like they wouldn't have seen this way, but accounting, like balancing the books, like God has audited the books. This is, this is a long way to look at that word. God has audited the books and he's found Humanity is bankrupt. He, he's found the world, yeah, w- like wanting. So he's got to reverse the system. But now what does Bail he do? Out. Yeah. So he deals with it on a worldwide basis, right? But what does he do at the end of the flood? He says, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. But I realize that the books still need to be audited. So now the best way to look at it is he's going to do it on a more individual basis. He's going to do it on a more case-by-case scenario versus worldwide. Like if I kill you, right? He's okay, not going yeah, right, right. to destroy the whole world. Right, right. But my, and humanity has been charged with dealing with, you know, issues of capital punishment. That's a separate podcast, but capital punishment, how to handle sin, right? I mean, that becomes clear in how Israel is supposed to, the laws like that God gave Israel as, as a people. Oh yeah. That comes in play yeah. then. Yeah. Good point. And remember guys, like we talked about in episode three, like, Events themselves are not inspired. It's the interpretation that an author brings to an event that is inspired. If the Bible never wrote about a flood, let's say it was a royal flood, at the end of the day, the flood still happened. Like, that doesn't make it inspired. How the biblical author views what happened. Interpret the the event and and where they... Yeah. Because that would would mean that all the other places and other sources that aren't the Bible, that would mean that those are inspired biblical texts because the event. But they don't say the same. They don't make the same claims. They're not making the same theological claims about the event that the Bible is, which means those accounts aren't. We shouldn't take them as inspired. Exactly. I agree with that. Right. So how are we landing this thing? My view is local flood described worldwide, whether or not... Actual worldwide. Whether they thought it was worldwide or not, they wrote down that it was... it, It affected the entire world, even though in reality, from our vantage point, it didn't actually flood the whole world. That's your position. That's my position. So regardless of that, that means to them, it was worldwide. That's what Justin's saying. Justin, do you want to present your... Yeah. So I'm saying it was, from our perspective, not a worldwide flood, but that's because... You'd be in agreement with Michael. I would be in agreement with Michael on that. I would say that, yes, they were trying to communicate a worldwide flood. My right. difference maybe with Michael would be I would say in their minds it was a worldwide flood. I would be mm. willing to say that, and I would be willing to say so much so that Noah and his family were the only survivors of this flood. I would go. I would say that. I think I would – oh, this is hard. If you could if – if one of our listeners could piece together a mediating position between Justin and Michael, that would be mine. I think that's why I think the most important question is not did it – was it worldwide in the sense of what part of the planet did it cover? But did it actually kill everybody other than Noah and his family? Mm. That's the I think that's the key. And I would want to say that's less of a theological question. I think that's more of a theological question than the did it cover Antarctica or not? Did it kill right. everybody other than Noah and his family? Did it or accomplish not? its purpose exactly. as a recreation, a restart? I see what you're saying. And that's where I would want to say, mm. based on the text, I want to say yes. But if they're arguing that the hyperbole there, that the hero would have been able to say, oh, of course it didn't kill everybody. That the author's using hyperbole. Well, I don't know, but it seems right. like if that's the case, then maybe they would say no, it didn't kill everybody. But I would want to say, based on my reading of it, and I'm not an expert, but I would want to say. No, it did. They're trying to tell us that it, that it was a restart. This goes to the speech act theory, though. If the author is intending hyperbole, his expected response from the reader is hyperbole. Yeah. For us, the question always is about the scale of the flood as we see the world. But for them, a worldwide flood, if they're intending hyperbole with their understanding of worldwide, 
right? Which would mean for them, it would not have been worldwide. It would have been even smaller, which means it wouldn't have killed everybody. Mm. But see, I'm that's where I, I'm, I'm rubbing against that because we just we automatically think the conversation's about the globe, but to them, it's not. Yeah. It's about their kind of like with creation seven days. It's really about create. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and can we talk about, I mean, this is just a par- parallel, probably shouldn't dive into it, but the idea of the 40 days, 40 nights, right, going through yes. the waters of the flood. Then you look at the Exodus going through the, the waters, waters of the, wandering the Red years. Sea. The God brought Noah look at Jesus, the waters. Jesus and the temptation, the waters. temptation yeah. in the desert, 40 days. After then coming yeah. through the water. Yeah, through, through the, the waters, waters of baptism. There's something what happening. What does the waters represent in categorically in their mind of how they understand salvation really well, in every one of those moments there's been a reset yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah yeah so that's that's just an interesting literary tidbit yeah. there yep and then to hang our rainbow in the conversation <laughs> i like that i like that double rainbow to hang our rainbow what does it mean the word rainbow is the exact same word for bow so james morgan shout this out. is not to say this is the first time they've seen a rainbow because the the uh, the meteorological uh, of like rain happening with sunlight like could probably produce a rainbow. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, and look, like well, the question well, is, did it? But rain? God, God is takes this the first time it rained. On but God Earth? takes like with the circumcision. That's not the first time people have been circumcised. But He takes something that's already around and gives it a whole new meaning. The word for rainbow and bow are the same word in Hebrew, bow and arrow, like Hawkeye. So another way to look at that would be, never again will I, pow, I'm hanging up my weapon. Headshot. So that's what the bow is supposed to be. Could be. There's also other stories where at the end of their, after the flood, the gods, they give multicolored necklaces. So it, the rainbow is a common motif in all of the flood stories. So the rainbow is not God flashing his infinity gauntlet. No. Oh, that's it. Oh, no. It's saying I could do this again, but I'm not going to. Yeah. So the flood is the snap. <laughs> the poof. Yeah. The flood snap. Poof. 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 Except it was more than 50%. For me, the, big, the biggest thing, I guess, with this story is, again, emphasizing God's faithfulness through, even though like some people look, oh, that God wiped out all humanity. Yeah, some people like to emphasize, like, why would God do yeah. something like but that? But God, like, God didn't wipe out all of humanity. That's the, that's the point for me from a theological... And also, if God did not handle violence, what does that say about God? Yeah, exactly. Like, what does it say about God, and what does it say about His commitment to a good, ordered creation? And for me... This story demonstrates that God is incredibly patient and incredibly gracious towards wicked humanity, and that even though there's a lot of debate about what exactly took place and what happened, that's, I think, the theological takeaway for me is God is faithful, patient, Mm -hmm. and good. And he's committed to his original plan to create a flourishing world through human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, if you want to know more, we're going to have some uh, links to... Uh, things that we're reading. If you guys have questions, reach out to us on our social media at Good Brew Podcast. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Again, what would help us out a ton, go online if you don't mind. Leave us a review. That would really help us out. Get us noticed. If you guys like what we have to say, that is. If you don't, you probably don't want other people to hear us. But if you do, go review us and that'll get get our name out and it will help spread the Good Brew community. The Good Brewnity. <laughs> Justin, sign us off. All right, guys, as always, thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye from the good brew.